the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back as we head into Hour 2. Perhaps one of the most important scholars in the country is the man who is almost single-handedly trying to save not only higher education, but elementary and secondary education, sounding the alarm, providing the solutions to reform-minded governors. He is Stanley Kurtz. K-U-R-T-Z. He is a senior fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center and a contributor to uh, National Review and National Review Online. Stanley, welcome back to the Airwaves of Phoenix. Thanks for doing what you do and for being with us as always. Sir, thanks so much for having me. You betcha. Well, I don't know. This White House, this administration evidently doesn't know how to identify or deal with real enemies abroad, so it seems like it wants to make them here at home. Your vice president and mine on Sunday a couple days ago said, quoting, unfortunately in Florida, extremist so-called leaders ban books, block history classes, and prevent teachers from freely discussing who they are and who they love. Anyone who bans teaching American history has no right to shape the future. Karen Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary, as you point out in your most recent piece at National Review on Friday, said that uh, Ron DeSantis is trying to block the study of black Americans. Boy, you'd think that that would be an unwise move in a state like Florida. What the heck is going on, Stanley? Well, Seth, as you know, it's nonsense. These accusations are utter nonsense. Uh, Not only uh, is the history of black Americans uh, treated in Florida's schools, but uh, the bill that Governor uh, DeSantis uh, favored, the, the Stop Woke Act, actually mandates an increase in the study of the history of um, black Americans. So there's no question here of the study of black history being banned. The question is, how do we study that history through a distorted, uh, politicized uh, lens uh, of the Marxist left or in a more reasonable and thoughtful way? And that's where DeSantis has um, forced uh, the College Board to reckon with its uh, extremism. One of the interesting things about this, and maybe it's a tell or a hint about the extremism, is we're talking in particularly about in one of these uh, uh, cases of the curriculum that uh, Ron DeSantis is opposed to, is uh, the the well, let's use uh, let's use the full name, the AP African American Studies course. Uh, one of the tells or hints here is that they don't want to release it. Do I have that right? I mean, you got a copy of it through your diligence and all that, but they seem to want to keep most of this fairly covered up, don't they? That's right. And I absolutely think that uh, the uh, suspicious take on that, which is that they're they're afraid that it will leak out and embarrass them because the leftist politics will be obvious, Mm -hmm. is exactly right. That is what's going on. There's no other reason at this point to keep the curriculum secret. And in fact, it's too late because... 
uh, while I wrote about the curriculum but didn't actually publish it because I might get sued. Yeah, no, you maintained that, right. Mm -hmm. But there are some other outlets now, including NBC Mm -hmm. News, which have actually published the, uh, the curriculum. And so... It's all over. And let me tell you, Seth, um, some news that you might not have heard. There has been some major, major news in just the last couple hours. Uh, The college board, I think because they now realize it's too late for them to um, sweep everything under the rug, has announced that on February 1st it's going to come out with the official final version of its curriculum, Mm -hmm. which will be revised. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I also don't take the college board at its word here. First of all, they're claiming uh, that um, the changes are based on the feedback they've gotten as the normal, as part of the normal process of a pilot program. Well, um, there are going to be two years of the pilot course, and they ha- they've only gotten through one half of the first year. And the final quarter of the course, which is where all the controversy has focused, hasn't even happened yet. So how can the revisions <laughs> they're going to put out on February 1st reflect all the feedback they've gotten from teachers and students on the pilot program? I mean, it's they're in a panic because DeSantis has called them out, and now folks like myself uh, uh, have uh, published on what's actually in the curriculum. They know it's indefensible, and so they're pretending that uh, this is all uh, normal procedure, but uh, they are desperately trying to uh, recover. Stanley Kurtz is our guest. He is a senior fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center. He writes about these great education issues at National Review, nationalreview.com. Stanley, I was doing a monologue about an hour, almost exactly an hour ago, and I was talking about, you know, this kind of Orwellian inversion of modern-day meanings of words. You've seen it your whole life. Speech is violence. Violence is mostly peaceful, that kind of thing. And one of my examples was one of these new uh, new, new iterations, that colorblindness is racism. You, you get that from certain scholars. Well, damn it, one of the scholars is uh, is in this curriculum that they're trying to force down Floridians next, this Edward, Eduardo Bonilla Silva, the sociologist best known for the idea that colorblindness is racism. They have a section, if I understand this right, on teaching colorblindness, and that's who they cite to, a guy who thinks that Martin Luther King by today's standards would be a racist, I suppose. Exactly. You're exactly right. And he, uh, Eduardo Bonilla Silva calls himself and is known as a critical race I've theorist. I've seen it all over the web, yes. He, for those that deny critical race theory is in this <laughs> curriculum, one of the lead reference points here in the curriculum itself that they cite to and reference and want you to read for further instruction brags about being a critical race theorist. Okay. And the early stories in the media on this quoted of a teacher in the Florida pilot program saying that Black Lives Matter is not per se studied in this curriculum when there is an entire unit (laughs) on Black Lives Matter. So, you know, these were the bogus stories coming out while the curriculum was being hidden. And this is why the College Board didn't want to release the curriculum, even though uh, the Martin Center, an excellent conservative-leaning think tank, the only conservative think tank I know of that deals specifically with higher education, the Martin Center did a, uh, a documents request, public documents request, and uh, the College Board uh, wrote back and said, no, this is uh, 
trade secret, so we're not going to release it. And and that would have shown all of these lies that were out in the New York Times and the Washington Post quoting people with just outright falsities about the curriculum. While they're saying that DeSantis is banning and preventing teachers from freely discussing things, they're preventing a free inquiry and a free discussion of these very things, because they probably know that it wouldn't stand up to the light of scrutiny, right? Well, that's right. And it's also very important to note, the whole idea of free speech <laughs> is, is really doesn't apply to K-12. No. K-12 <laughs> is a curriculum right. that is decided on ultimately by the people yep. of a given state yep. through state standards and through the governor and the people he appoints to the education department. You, if you, When you claim that it's about free speech, what you're really saying is, that a teacher, an adult, who has these minor children, vulnerable children, under his authority, can come in and yeah. say anything he wants. Anything they want. They want. And that is what they're saying. I was making that point in the last hour. I don't know if this is too extreme. But when Kamala Harris goes off like this, or Karen Jean-Pierre goes off like this, banning books and blocking history classes, blocking history class. I was making the point that, you know, we had a president once named Woodrow Wilson who showed a history documentary, a quite famous one now in lore, called The Birth of a Nation, written by and to propagandize the KKK. For those of us that criticize that, would we be blocking history classes? It's about what's appropriate, right, Stanley? Absolutely. And a lot of what is called book banning in the media is actually, again, just replacing one book in a curriculum yeah. with another. Right. And the left has uh, these whole organizations um, disrupt the classics or at disrupt the classics, you know, where they say you shouldn't be teaching the uh, Odyssey, you right. know, Homer's Odyssey, right. because that's by a dead white male. Yep. So they never say that's banning a book. No. They say it's disrupting the classics. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I don't know if you know some of the work of... Uh, of um, Bethany Mandel, some of those kids' books that she's put out. Uh, anyway, she's she's uh, kind of on our side of things and putting out these wonderful kids' books, and she just gets a chuckle, you know, about, you know, books on John Wayne and Ronald Reagan and Margaret mm-hmm. Thatcher and Clarence Thomas, and she wonderful. gets a chuckle. Yeah, well, she gets a chuckle because the libraries won't put them in there. She's mm-hmm. not, you know, <laughs> yeah, no. who's right. banning? Can I keep you another segment? i got to take oh, a sure. quick, uh, wonderful. Stanley Kurtz is our guest. We're talking education the education, the history, the race wars in education. You can uh, follow him at the Ethics and Public Policy Center, where he is a senior fellow and uh, where he is a prodigious writer on these issues at National Review. To the, way, to, the, to the extent that we will save education, it's the extent to which we pay attention to what Stanley Kurtz does. He and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Plato, in his book, The Republic, says if you want your youth to dwell in a land of health and receive good and beauty, then it's important that we think about what we are going to pour in their minds and at what age, and that it shouldn't just be anything or everything. There should be a discernment to it. Discernment is what Ron DeSantis in Florida is being criticized for, and he is being criticized from the vice president to the White House press secretary, who you would think might have more important things to do, as blocking history and preventing the teaching of black 
history. Stanley Kurtz is our guest. He's a senior fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center. He's a contributor, regular contributor to National Review. Has written uh, prodigiously on this very example as well as uh, related issues over the years. Stanley, um, it it really does come down to nothing more than understanding age appropriateness. I've never quite understood this this quest to force racialism and sexualization to five, six, seven, eight, nine year olds, especially when the ethos in education is under a rubric called social and emotional learning. It seems they've corrupted that phrase, social and emotional, too, because that's all we're talking about here. Age appropriate and accuracy. That's all we're talking about, I think. What am I missing here? Well, I think you've got it, Seth. I would say that on the uh, race issues, it's it has more to do with what's accurate and what's right. I think even for an 11th or 12th grader, yeah. uh, critical race theory is wrong yeah, and inaccurate. Sure, sure. Uh, but certainly on the uh, sexual issues, age appropriateness really comes into play and is a completely legitimate consideration. Uh, and um, I think a lot of people on the other side don't get that, but plenty of them do, and they just have a deeply different uh, idea about what should be done at a young age. They want to get to kids at the youngest possible age and and uh, change their way of thinking about uh, gender into this woke perspective, and I think most people still feel that this is bringing up sexuality at a massively premature age, not to mention the way in which I think there is a kind of uh, subtle culture and sometimes not so subtle cultural push with young children to make them somehow question their own gender identity oh, and yes. want, oh, want to transition of course, of course. as minors and of then course. hide it from the parents. Of I, course. I do think that's going on. Well, the New York Times had a story on that on Sunday uh, that is just uh, jaw-dropping uh, to see in the New York Times. But they've been saying what you and I and a few others have been saying for about, oh, eight or nine years now. Let's talk about this racialization business and this critical race theory stuff, because, you know, I'm not as studied on the history wars as you are, but I'm not totally unstudied on it. I've done a lot in it. And, you know, I, I was I, I was raised on, I think, what was fairly standard fare, authors of history textbooks that were basically New Deal Democrats, people like Daniel Borston and Henry Steele Commenter. I know all this history they tell us we don't know and haven't been taught. I, we were taught it, Stanley. What are they teaching now? Uh, what they are teaching now, it seems to me, is almost a Rogers and Hammerstein. You've got to be carefully taught to hate from when you are six or seven or eight. That's what they're teaching. They're teaching racial division, not racial history. That's my sense. You tell me. I think they've changed it to you've got to be carefully taught to hate yourself. Yeah. Okay. Good. That's how it goes with okay. the, um, you know, students who aren't in the designated minorities. Yeah. I think they really are turning people against themselves. And I think that famous old title, Suicide of the West, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, is is what we're seeing here. They really want to make people hate America, and ultimately I think that means make them hate themselves, feel guilty, and use that guilt as a lever to have a revolutionary transformation in this country. I was talking to, um, I don't know if you know him or not, uh, 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 an author and teacher named Daniel Buck, 
and uh, he was talking about his master's degree in education, you know, that to get his teacher certificate, they go through these master's degree programs. You know this world very well. And he was talking about it at University of Wisconsin-Madison in his program. They made Black Lives Matter friendship bracelets. They passed around popsicle sticks to designate whose turn it was to talk about their life traumas, and they read poems through the lenses of Marxism. And I'm just thinking, you know, you went to grad school, I went to grad school. We didn't. We weren't making friendship bracelets, but never mind racializing this stuff. But this is what the teachers are being trained for, right? I mean, this is the push to train teachers from some kind of, uh, you know, some kind of education as subversive activity, Paulo Freire, neo-Marxist stuff to get the kids in the schools. That is what's going on here. I, I'm really very strong on this point, Stanley. And if I'm too strong, you reel me back. But I do think this is another neo-Marxist youth movement, not unlike. Maoist youth movements where they think they're going to get us through our kids. Oh, yeah. The ed schools are, are – there are several candidates for being the center of woke on college campuses, but I think you have to say that the ed schools are among the top candidates, and they've been doing this Paolo Freire, which is just straight-out Marxist, for some, for some time. And uh, now it's gotten even worse. And uh, I think um, – Maybe about six months or a year ago, Larry Arn, the president of Hillsdale, got into trouble for saying out loud that uh, ed schools are where some of the, um, shall we say, uh, less sharp people in colleges go to. Interesting. <laughs> I'm afraid that. Well, C.S. Lewis would have to get in trouble. I mean, he makes the point <laughs> that when you miseducate a child, you subject them to propaganda as an adult. And I think that's what we're seeing, honestly. Absolutely. And, uh, I mean, I do think it would be so much better if teachers got more in the way of subject expertise. Mm -hmm. I would rather yeah. see a history teacher who had a master's in history. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because most yeah. of these ed theories are bad anyway, yeah. and they, they don't really help you be a better teacher. Yeah. They make you into a worse teacher. It is interesting, isn't it, that for all this academic nonsense of history, that some of these popular historians do really well in their book sales with adults who really want the good stuff. I mean, it's hard to deny the good history that gets written by people like the recently departed David McCullough or even John Meacham's book on Lincoln, I have to say. It pains me. It's a great book. <laughs> you know, people eat this stuff up, I think, because they understand the real from the crap. I think they do at a certain I think, point. I think that's right. And that's been going on for some time. But I worry. Yeah. I don't know that it, whether it's true or not. But How I long worry can it that, last? Yeah. You know, now that the younger generation is getting so woke, I really wonder, yeah. you know, will, who will be the David McCulloch yep. of the next generation yep. and yep. will he find that yep. readership? Yep. I worry about it, too. I mean, we're on fumes right now, I think. Mm -hmm. Vestiges, fumes and remnants. Indeed. Well, as I say, Stanley, thank you for everything. You're always so generous with your time as you are with your effort on saving education in America. We appreciate you so much. And thanks for having me. Always, sir. Summer. Again, Stanley Kurtz, Ethics and Public Policy Center, National Review. You want to save education, read Stanley and deploy him. <laughs> I'm Seth, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back.
Me and our friends at the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group want you to start the year by securing the value of your cash reserves and investments by guarding them against what many are predicting will be a brutal year for the value of the dollar. The economic signs are worrisome, so I recommend calling the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group to safeguard your wealth with the stability of gold. Gold holds its value when economies fail. You look at what happened with stocks and bonds last year. Gold held its value. Those who converted to gold with Midas Gold Group created a hedge against the ravages of inflation. I want you to trust the only precious metals dealer that Seb Gorka and I and thousands of you already trust. That's the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group. Check them out at MidasGoldGroup.com. That's MidasGoldGroup.com. Or better yet, give them a call at 480-360-3000. That's 480-360-3000. Few things uh, delight me as much as seeing this name on the board. Tina in Star Valley. Hello, Tina. Happy New Year. Oh, Happy New Year, and thank you for taking my call. Always. Great to talk to you. Always, always. As a former educator who I went to ed school, I I went to Lehigh uh, Education School when it was still a a men's college, but I I was the the one woman in a class of 30. You might have been the only man in the room. <laughs> Not in those days. Okay. All right. All right. They said that about. They used to say that about Margaret Thatcher. I kind of think of you that way. Oh, uh, but but I was really appalled by the. And this is back in the seventies. Yeah. So yeah. you know, quite a while back, I was appalled by the level of uh, of schooling in the ed uh, ed school department. I had come from a pretty good school. I I, I graduated from Northwestern. And when I went to Lehigh, the uh, what the only decent course that I took was an English course, and I happened to have it from uh, the poet Stephen Spender. And uh, you know the the ed courses were just abysmal. And this is the early seventies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the education schools in the same area, Elizabethtown, uh, New, um, Elizabethtown, New Jersey, or Pennsylvania. I can't New remember. New Jersey, probably. They yeah. had. Probably yeah, they had um, they they accepted people whose SAT scores were in the three and four hundred, mm-hmm. and um, you know it's pretty low. Yeah. So I I think this that you know this level of of mediocrity has been unfortunately a part of. That's what our Nation at Risk report said in 1983. We were facing a rising tide of mediocrity, a rising tide of mediocrity. So what they've done is they replaced it, I suppose. The real focus, as I understand it, in those days, early 70s in those days, and I guess it carried through the mid and late 70s to today. But what was going on was this emphasis on methodology, as I understand, or what you might call how-to rather than content, right? This is what a lot of what yes, we're talking works. about, right? And when exactly. you're focused on how-to rather than content, you're not grabbing your history majors necessarily, or if you are, you are unteaching them and unlearning them that which they devoted their life's love to, which was the education of our youth with rich material and deep insight and thought and love of the topic they were tasked with teaching, right? That's what they had, and we ripped it out of them to do this kind of methodological stuff. I remember I had a poli-sci professor. We clashed all the time, but he was going off on it. He was a lefty in those days, or a liberal, I suppose. 
And he said, you know what? Just do content, content, content and do one course on how to. Uh, the how to stuff, the methodology stuff, um, it's been used as a tool to gain us the, 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 the low scores that we are now seeing. I mean, why is it? Do we ever sit back and ask ourselves, why is it that for all the investment we put into K-12 education, elementary and secondary education, something now on the order of $800 billion a year in this country, our scores are flat, 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 and falling? It just doesn't make sense, I, Tina. Well, it, it, it Unless does it make does. sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, I, me, I have my tinfoil hat firmly affixed to my noggin here. And, uh, you know, if, if you want to dumb down a population to make them uh, obedient and to not question things, you know, we we back in the 60s, there was this bumper sticker that said question authority. Yeah, I remember it. What what happened to yeah. that? Yeah, you know? what happened to that? <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah, there was but another the bumper sticker, means- people over profits. What happened to that? <laughs> yeah, right. I know. But what uh, the methodology thing? It hasn't even remained static. No. In the in the sh- in fairly short time that I taught up here in Payson High School, there were these different uh, programs. Oh, of, yeah. oh this is going to just be the most amazing thing for the kids. That capturing kids' hearts was the name of one of them. And you know they 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 keep bringing in the the latest glitziest. I know, way I speak. know, I know. But they wouldn't recognize Frederick Douglass. They wouldn't recognize Frederick yeah. Douglass. I know. It's a thank right. you, Tina. I got to thank you. God bless you. Happy New Year. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Let's see where do we go next. Fred in Fountain Hills. Hello, Fred. Hello. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for taking my call. You bet. I know what I'm about to say is probably unpopular. (laughs) I I, I have to say it. You know, I think it's indisputable that this country was founded on Judeo-Christian values, and and we have failed to teach our children those things. I mean, the, the questions you all are bringing up, the answer is rather simple that we have to get back to those things. Um, the Bible, which is very unpopular, henceforth we have all these problems, tells us that we are, in Deuteronomy 6, verse 6, that we're supposed to teach our children when we sit in the house, when we walk by the way, when they lie down and when they rise up, we're supposed to constantly be teaching them right from wrong. And I believe families have failed to do that, uh, right now, we have probably the fewest people ever sitting in churches and synagogues. That's right. The and, numbers are showing that for the first time in history, yeah. it's under 50 percent. That's right. Yes. And one last thing. I, I'm going to quote the Bible in Hosea 4, verse 6. It, God says, because you have rejected knowledge, I will reject you. And I will forget your children, he tells us. Fred, uh, work with me on something a moment. Um, Work with me on this just a little bit, because I can imagine that there are plenty of people who may share our general outlook, but don't necessarily believe that the Bible should be taught in elementary and secondary public schools. Um, You know, I just want to float this idea 
that there are principles of beauty in the Bible, or what you call Judeo-Christian values, Fred, that you don't have to go to the Bible to get, right? I mean, there, there, there are eternals and durables and truths that you can get from, non, from not necessarily religious sources. You can teach beauty. You can teach equality. You can teach responsibility. You can do it with, uh, you know, Greek philosophy. You can do it with, you know, all kinds of wonderful literature. There is a, a wide variety of wonderful literature and stories. Why do, we th- why do you think we were taught the Odyssey as kids? Why were we, why were we taught, you know, these great stories and, and great books and great authors who weren't necessarily, uh, you know, preachers or ministers or rabbis? Uh, why, why did we teach To Kill a Mockingbird? Why did we teach The Great Gatsby? Why did we teach about things like beauty without mentioning the book? And why are they gone? Why is it all gone? Why is social and emotional learning devoid of actual truth and beauty? You can do truth and beauty without pointing to the Bible. You can. And, 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 and I think it's around that notion that, I mean, take a look at the Book of Virtues, for example. I don't know, 10% of it or less is biblical. 10% of it or less. Um, everything from Aesop forward. Um, you can do it. We just don't. We've turned our head on good. We've turned our head on right. We've turned our head on truth from wherever what? the source is. It doesn't have to be biblical. For, I, I say that to those who don't want the Bible in elementary and secondary, which I, and, and I appreciate, which I fully appreciate, by the way. Well, I, I believe you lose the foundation there. And then you say, well, what is your philosophy compared to my philosophy? There's no foundation Whereas if you believe that God is well, do you th- well? Let me try it this way. Let me try it this way. Don't. This is a, such a great conversation, and we may run out of time, and we can pick it up any time you want. But you know, do you think it's wrong to steal a child's lunch money? You don't have to go to the Bible for that. Do you well, think it's wrong it, to murder? You don't have to go to the Bible for that. You can. You don't have to. Based. Huh? That is all from the Bible. Thou shalt not steal. I mean, where did that come from? I mean, man can say he came up with it, but he he did it. He was taught that from someone else. Oh, sure. And there are and there are things previous to the Bible that go to that as well, and things that don't even mention the Bible going to that. I mean, these are these are things in the Bible because they are right and they are true. But you can cite to them. You can teach those lessons without without teaching, you know, Exodus, can't you? Leave Exodus to the home and, and give the value to the school, social and emotional learning the right way, couldn't you? Well, I, I believe, you know, people say that all these religions have, uh, you know, similarity, but I believe it's because those similarities came from one source. I understand. And then they branched sure. out. Sure, sure. Sure. Well, I think the entirety of Western civilization is a blend. It's an admixture of that which my teacher's teacher called Jerusalem and Athens. Um, Greek philosophy, some of which predates the Bible, and you can get some of those instructions from, and revelation, revealed re- 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 God's revealed word. You blend those two together, and you get the richest tradition the history has ever known. That also is the only tradition that learned how to question itself, ours. Um, I'm just saying you can do it. We have done it. We did it for many of us. 
went to good schools and had great teachers and learned this, this stuff and didn't see a Bible in those classrooms. It can be done. I mean, that is the point of the Book of Virtues. That is the point of virtues. I mean, we didn't—William J. Bennett didn't need to write another Bible, couldn't and didn't. But all those stories are in there based on things children can relate to, young adults and even parents. I mean, why did we teach things like Aesop's fables? Why did we, why did we you know, read these wonderful poems and wonderful Greek tragedies and wonderful Greek plays? They had something to teach us, something to teach us that comported with the very ethics that you're talking about. And I understand it. I am on that side of it because I understand that, you know, once you put biblical instruction as the job of the public school, um, you're going to destroy not the public school but biblical instruction. That's at least my view. Joshua is in Gilbert. Hello, Joshua. Hey, Seth. Thanks for taking the call. I appreciate it. You bet. Hey, uh, real quick, um, this topic kind of came off a a separate topic. I'm sitting around with the guys I work with today. Uh, We're in healthcare staffing. And uh, we, get, we make a salary. We make a commission. Uh, we're all looking at our checks that are going to come out in a couple of days. And we're like, oh, my gosh, the amount of federal taxes, Social Security and all this stuff is just insane, the amount of money we're paying. So we're all getting angry and upset, of course. And, um, and I kind of start thinking and we're all thinking, well, gosh, you know, nobody does anything. No one seems to get upset about this stuff. People just keep going about their merry way. And I'm not saying I'm the one who came up with this idea, but I, I think when we were talking about It sounds like you're about to risk. give me a really good idea, and I have to take a break. Can you hold one more moment? Sure. I'll come right back. Thank you, Joshua. I very much appreciate it. That way we'll get you your full, uh, your full time. I'm Seth. He's Joshua. He and I will be right back. If you are worried about stock market volatility, why refi has an investment in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return and it's not correlated to the stock market. It's a portfolio where you'll know what each monthly statement will look like with no surprises. Your interest is compounded daily. You're paid monthly. There are no fees and there's no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. This is a secure collateralized portfolio that delivers an up to 10.25% rate of return. That's right. 10.25%. YReFi is a due diligence proof firm, and you can check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or call them at 888-YREFI-34. That's 888-YREFI-34. Joshua in Gilbert, thank you for your patience, sir. Yeah, no problem, Seth. Thanks again. Um, So like I mentioned, just sitting around with the guys I work with, we're just baffled and upset about the amount of taxes and social we're paying out in our checks that are coming out in a couple days. We're thinking to ourselves, you know, how is how do people not get more upset about this? It's just it's just crazy. Um, and it brought me to basically where was that red wave last uh, yeah. November? Yeah. And just more of an overall social look at you know our voter base. Yeah. And, and I'm and I'm going to use my wife, who I love dearly, and and I'm only using her as just kind of an example. We've got a great house. We're very blessed beautiful children she's got a great job she's a nurse she lives in her bubble Mm -hmm. what reason is there for her to vote Mm -hmm. and it's like that for tens and tens of millions of women that i you know that i see and women that i know and and i'm not saying there's anything wrong with that necessarily but 
you know, their kids are doing fine. They go to the grocery store. Sure, stuff's more expensive. But, hey, again, I can do my vacations. I can watch my TikTok videos. Yep. I can buy my, you know, $300 shoes I need. Yep. That's who, that is who is going to change what we need. Correct. If they are still living in their bubble and nothing affects them, well, you know what? We can complain about all we want in the media. It's that kind of a person. And there's men who do this, too. Yep. Who they just, it doesn't, you know, the, it doesn't affect them. What, I mean, it doesn't matter to them. They're still living in their world and they're getting along just fine. So yep. uh, that's, that's it is. Piercing it is. these bubbles is the most important thing. I agree with you, Joshua. It's such a big issue. I have worried and worried and worried about uh, the person who, you know, may not listen to shows like this or maybe tune tune into or turn on Fox News or whatever, may not read the Powerline blog, but, you know, kind of just maybe is preternaturally somewhat moderate, doesn't do too much politics. And what they know is from the culture. What they know is from NPR or CNN, and they think that's right. They think it's trustworthy. Um, Or they don't think about what that money in your paycheck is going to and going to finance or what your property taxes are financing in the schools. Our job is is to pierce those bubbles, and you know people say, "Well, you can only do so much." That is the point of what we try and do every day, right? Hopefully, talk to someone who talks to someone who talks to someone. It's hard work, and I think you have to reach one and teach one. We all have to always be evangelizing, and we got to do candidate recruitment as a party. We don't, and we need to. The Democrats are already and all set and ready to go for their uh, Senate election here in Arizona. They're all good to go. We ain't nowhere close. We need to do a better job of recruiting candidates who can speak to what your wife will hear. Bless you, Joshua. Thank you. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.